All right, let us, let us begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts today uh, to help us pick up uh, where we left off two weeks ago. Help us to open our minds and our hearts to what it is you have to say to us, uh, not only through Deuteronomy, but through our discussions of it. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. Before we begin, I want to thank all of you who sent messages and cards and so forth and so on. Uh, I feel real great. Uh, For those of you who may not know, I've had two major surgeries in the past six weeks. Uh, Nothing earth-shaking, nothing... uh, life-threatening of any kind, but uh, to explain it all, you know, it had to do with internal plumbing. So uh, that all got, I think, straightened out, and I feel fine. So thank you very much. and appreciate uh, all of your... Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to pick up a little bit of a review of our efforts here on the book of Deuteronomy. I've had some people say, well, why Deuteronomy? It's such an old book and long ago, etc., etc. And I'm saying that if that is the only way you look at this book, then you're missing the point. Deuteronomy is not history. It repeats a lot of what was in the books of Exodus and Numbers and to some degree Leviticus, but it is not written in the same way. It is written as a message. In fact, the structure of the book is four speeches by Moses, but it was written in the 8th or 9th century B.C., to a much later audience. And it was written as a speech, or speeches, four of them, because speech is, is like a letter. And when you write a letter, it's generally to intend a message. And that is what this book is intended to do and to be, a message to the people of that time But that message is just as important to us today as it was then, because many of the conditions uh, are the same. It was written to the people of the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. This is after Israel was split into two separate kingdoms, after the death of David and Solomon and their grandson Rehoboam. I won't go into all of the historical details right now, but just imagine that now Israel is divided into two separate kingdoms, the northern being uh, retaining the name Israel and the southern retaining the name of Judah, which was its major province at the time. And it was actually the center of Judaism because it contained the city of Jerusalem. But the northern kingdom went off the deep end very quickly and started to disintegrate by 
absorbing a lot of the pagan customs, traditions, and the worship of pagan gods uh, from the nations surrounding them. There was a lot of intermarriage, which was forbidden by God uh, and forbidden by Moses. So there was a small group of people who tried to correct this. They were later identified as the Deuteronomists. We have no names. We have no idea of just who these people were by name. But nevertheless, their influence carried out not only through this book, but through many of the other books of the Old Testament. In fact, Deuteronomy is the only book that is mentioned or inferred or implied in all of the other books of the Old Testament. Uh, not so much in the words, but in the structure and the influence by these Deuteronomists. So the idea of a speech is really to give a message to the people of the northern kingdom that God has said in many ways and times of the past that if you do not obey God's instructions, then there will have to be punishment. Now, I want to get into the subject of punishment, but I want to uh, delay that for a little bit. These are the subjects I would like to talk about today. Um, <clears throat> the idea of uh, speech is more important than history, because history just relates facts. Speech relates what those facts mean and why they imply. And the people of the Deuteronomy group in the northern kingdom tried to get the people to see by repeating much of what Moses said and then adding their own commentary along with it to try to wake up the people to what was going on and how they were wrong and how they were going to be punished. Well, unfortunately, this was a small group and they were overrun not only by the royalty but by almost everyone else in the northern kingdom and they were chased out along with the book uh, that they were writing. They fled to the southern kingdom of Judah. Unfortunately, the people in Judah gave them the same treatment. They weren't interested in trying to uh, improve themselves. They weren't interested in hearing about Moses again. They'd had Moses up to the years over the centuries that elapsed from the time of Moses in the 15th century down to the 8th and 9th century BC. And so these people, both in the north and in the south, rejected what this book contained. And it landed into the uh, temple uh, archives, no doubt, for about 150 years. And that is why I wanted you to read uh, from the first book of Kings, uh, chapters, I believe it was 11 or 12, 
through 22. And then in the second book of Kings, practically all of it, because they're very short chapters, not so much to get the idea of the history, but to get an idea of the understanding of the conditions uh, of the people and their mindset and how they just turn from one king to another and each one seemed to uh, be more degrading than the last one. And that's about all you have to get out of those because there, there's not a great deal of history in the either book of Kings, but you can get the mindset of the people and try to understand, and that's what's important. Now, what happened eventually is that both the northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and the people were carted out and taken to Assyria and Mesopotamia and some of those countries up there, never to be seen again. That was their punishment. When the Deuteronomists fled to the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, it was almost as bad for quite a while. They were not accepted, neither was their message accepted. Uh, but the book did land in the temple, as I said earlier. And when the southern kingdom was overrun by the Babylonians in 587 BC, these people, the Deuteronomists, which continued to, they may not have been the same people, obviously, for 150 years later, but their mindset, this small group, took the books with them to Babylon. While they were in Babylon, they were not slaves in the way we often think of slavery. They were indentured servants. So they became housemaids, teachers, uh, butlers, shopkeepers, and so forth. They were able to have their own homes. They were able to uh, have some degree of freedom and so forth. Uh, so they had nothing to study. They had nothing to talk about. There weren't any daily newspapers as we have. Uh, and so the communication was very slim. So they decided they were going to take what they brought with them and start reviewing it. So they brought out this book, which was later identified as the book of the law because of the wording. And they began to study this. And they, through this, they began to realize, uh, I should back up a little bit, the people that were carted off to Babylon uh, it, were very upset because they kept saying to themselves as well as to each other, how could God let this happen? How could God let us get into such a mess and be carried off uh, by the conquering nation of Babylon, or Babylonia, um, God promised that he was going to protect us in the covenant. Well, after they began to study this book, they began to realize that they 
were being punished by God for their wrongdoing, for their not accepting the teachings of Moses and living by them. And these little groups became the essence or the very beginning of the synagogue system. Remember, in Judaism today, there are no temples. You might find a building that says temple this or temple that, but technically there are no temples in Judaism today. They have synagogues. The synagogues are houses of prayer and worship, but they are not temples. Uh, it's hard to distinguish one from the other today, but that is the origin of the synagogue system is these small house groups uh, that began to study the book uh, of the law, as they called it. And they finally began to realize it was their own fault that they were in Judaism, uh, they were in Babylon as uh, captives, that God was punishing them. And so they resolved that when they returned, or if they returned to Israel, that they were going to mend their ways. The other thing that happened is that the Babylonian conquest of Israel, or Judaism, uh, done away with, or did, did away with, pardon the expression, did away with the monarchy. Judaism had a 500-year period of monarchy from the time of King Saul and David all the way down to the Babylonian captivity when the last king of uh, Judah, in this case, uh, was carted off to Babylon and the monarchy was uh, done away with. And so because they had no one to be the ruler or the highest person to be recognized, it became the duty of the high priest to step in and take over the idea of uh, social justice and uh, so forth. And therefore, the high priest became the sole ruling person within the country of the exiles. And then when they came back from Babylon, beginning in 539 BC, uh, this whole idea of the high priest took on the role of temporal ruler as well. Yes. So the Babylonians allowed the Jewish people to still practice their religion? Yes. Yes. In fact, in the little handout I gave you this morning, you'll read how Cyrus the Great, uh, who conquered the Babylonians then, he was a Persian, who conquered the Babylonians, um, he was a, a very kind person. Uh, he felt that those people who were captives from other nations, not only from Judah, uh, 
but any other nation should allow be allowed to return uh, if they wished. They weren't being forced. So quite a tremendous difference from the way the Pharaoh looked at the Israelites way back at the time of Moses in Egypt. Uh, there was quite a difference, and that's why I gave you that little handout to compare those differences uh, on those two exiles. Now, if they had a high priest, they must have kept some sort of a semblance of their religion. Yes, yes, they did. Uh, they were allowed to keep their own religion while they were in, Bab in Babylon. But they just didn't... Uh, they didn't adhere to it the way that they should have. That's right. Okay. Yes. They did not adhere to it as they wish they should have, as Moses had intended. Okay. Uh, now, what we're going to be doing today is going back to one of the, the beginning of the second speech of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. It is much easier to understand than the first book. The first book, or the first four chapters, was the first speech of Moses. And as you recall, it was extremely difficult because of the names and the places that it all mentioned. There is some thought that the first speech and the last speech in Deuteronomy, the first of the four and the last of the four, were written later and added on because the language is so much different. You'll see that in the second speech it is much easier to understand and that is the part that was taken to Babylon and helped the people begin to see that it was their own problem uh, that got them there. Now I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of God and punishment. I want to read more or less for the record rather than uh, helping you people read, but uh, I want to read for the record because this uh, is being taped, obviously, and sometimes people will read the tapes without having the attachments or the handouts here. So let's look at this here. Deuteronomy covers much of the same material as in the books of Exodus and Numbers but with a major difference. Whereas Exodus and Numbers are narratives of the history of the events of the Israelites leaving Egypt for the Promised Land, Deuteronomy speaks to a much later audience, reminding them of how God took care of them during the time of Moses and the Exodus from Egypt. And therefore, the people of this later time period, that is the 9th and the 8th century BC, should be eternally grateful and faithful to the teachings of God uh, who gave them uh, these teachings through Moses. But we should also recognize that God punished those who did not accept and follow his instructions. And therefore, punishment plays an important part in this book as well. We must remember the rule of tough love. And the primary message of this book, as we've said before, uh, is fidelity 
and obedience must be observed or the answer to that is punishment. But this message was not meant just for the people of the 9th and the 8th century BC. It is meant for people of all time periods and it is just as important today because society today is ignoring God and his church big time. And we can expect some form of punishment. I think the natural disasters we have experienced in recent years are a part of this punishment and it will last until the whole world recognizes their wrongdoing and repents. The same conditions exist today as they did particularly in the northern kingdom of Israel back in the 9th and the 8th centuries BC. So in this meeting I'd also like to get into the second speech of Moses as compiled by the Deuteronomist. You will notice that there are several comments by the writers, the Deuteronomist, that are not in either Exodus or Numbers when talking about the same events. And I believe that the reasons are obvious from my comments about it. So let us get into the second speech, which begins at the latter part of chapter 4 of the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. Now each of these four each of these four speeches start out in the same way. This is the law which Moses set before the Israelites. And if Moses received these rules and regulations from God, we today are expected to observe them. Maybe with some minor changes uh, ordained by the church, but nevertheless they apply to us just as much as they did uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago. These are the ordinance, statutes, and decrees which he proclaimed that he, God, proclaimed when they had come out of Egypt and were beyond the Jordan in the ravine opposite Beth Peor in the land of Shion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, whom Moses and the Israelites defeated after coming out of Egypt. Okay. They occupied this land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, as well. The land of these two kings of the Amorites in the region east of the Jordan from uh, whatever, how you ever pronounce this, Arhor, uh, on the edge of the Wadi Arnon. A wadi is a large uh, stream, almost a river, okay, to Mount Zion, that is Hermon. And all of the Arabah, east of the Jordan, as far as, and I don't think these are all that important. You have a map uh, that we gave you, I believe, in the first week, and you can see that for yourself. <clears throat> what is important, though, is what we're going to be talking about now. 
the covenant. Uh, a covenant is a an agreement between a conquering king and the people he conquers. He tells them he will do this thus and so for them, but they must do such and such for him, or they must obey in such and such a way. And that is what we're talking about, this whole idea of covenant. The covenant at Horeb, which is technically the Ten Commandments, um, and we'll get into that in a few minutes here. <clears throat> Moses summoned all of the people and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and decrees which I proclaim, I, Moses, proclaim to you uh, your hearing this day, that you may learn them and take care to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, uh, not with our <coughs> excuse me, not with our fathers did he make this covenant, but with us, all of us who are alive here this day. The Lord spoke with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire, since you were afraid of the fire and would not go up to the mountain. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to announce to you these words of the Lord. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods beside me. You shall not carve idols or uh, for yourself in the shape of anything in the sky above or the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishments for their fathers and wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, this is... Moses rewording the first commandment. You know, it's a, quite a mouthful from what we often understand as the first commandment. But remember, he is giving a message, so he's adding a lot of the meaning that is inherent in that short word, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain and honor thy father and mother, etc. He is going to elaborate on them because it is the message that he is trying to get across to the people of his time and in today's society we should be listening to the same thing. Alright. It's interesting now uh, this first commandment is, is quite long here. Uh, many Protestant churches and the Jewish people break this into two commandments. And then the last two commandments, honor, uh, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's goods or thy neighbor's wife, are combined into one commandment, bringing them back to ten. Okay. So don't get confused. That's 
just more or less for your information. But that is the uh, Moses extended understanding of the first commandment. The second one is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not leave unpunished he who takes his name takes God's name in vain. Now let me stop there for a minute. Uh, this is one place where I feel Moses should have expanded this a little bit with some meaning. In Jewish society, ancient Jewish society, the word name meant more than just what a person was called, Jim or Pete or Mary or Sally or whatever. It meant the whole being of that person, all that he or she stood for. <laughs> And so the essence of the second commandment here is don't take God for granted because you will be punished if you disregard the commandments. Does that make sense? All right? Because if we just leave it as name, well, then, you know, people who... Uh, take the name of God in vain, uh, are going to be cut dead and everybody else is going to go free? Uh-uh. There's a lot more to it than that. People disregard the whole idea of God and unfortunately God is going to disregard them also. Yesterday, well, uh, it was the day before yesterday, uh, I heard overheard a conversation. I was not part of the conversation, but I overheard a conversation where one person was complaining about he prayed to God for this and he prayed to God for that and he prayed to God for something else but he didn't get any of them. And I was thinking, because I know these, I knew these people, the person that said this is uh, a person that is divorced, remarried, outside the church, uh, and does not live the, the best of life and yet he's asking, or he's blaming God for not listening to him and giving him what he wants. I mean, that doesn't seem to fit, does it? Um, and unfortunately, uh, this particular person will probably never wake up to understand why God's not giving him what he wants. God is not a sugar daddy. Okay? The covenant is that you do your part and I will do mine. So, whenever you hear the second commandment, thou shalt take the, uh, not take the name of God in vain, there's more to it than you might think. All right. And more to it than just those words alone. Do not take God in vain or for granted. Go on to chapter uh, verse 12 here. Take care to keep holy the Sabbath day as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. No work may be done then, 
whether by you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or ass or any other uh, beast or the aliens who live with you. Your male or female slaves should rest as you do. For remember that to you once uh, were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you from there with his strong hand and outstretched him. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. How do you, you notice something here? A lot of people pass over it. It's for remember that you were once slaved in Egypt. Well, if this is Moses talking to the people, he's talking about those people that were just escaped from Egypt. But you see, the book of Deuteronomy is talking to a much later audience. So that's why he uses the word remember in this case, because he wants these people to look back at the many times that God saved these people time after time after time. Remember, through the plagues and the, uh, the last plague, which was the death of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians, but not the Israelites, and he saved them there. Then he allowed them to escape or get out of Egypt. He then took care of them for 40 years, even though they disobeyed time after time after time. Uh, and so the Deuteronomists are trying to get these people to remember the goodness of God and how often he saved them, and yet they have disobeyed. Just like this person I'm talking about. This individual has led his own life the way he wanted, and now he's complaining because God doesn't give him what he wants? That doesn't fit. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> any, any questions? Take care to keep holding the Sabbath day as the Lord your God commanded you. And now we just talked about that. The Sabbath day, uh, of course, uh, was from Friday night through Saturday night to the Jewish people and still is. Um, we have changed that. Well, yes and no. Actually, it was not the church that changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. It was Emperor Constantine back in the third century. And he did it on sort of to keep us and help us remember that it was Christ who rose on a Sunday and it was the Holy Spirit that descended on Sunday. And therefore, Sunday, the first day of the week, is what we should be giving to God rather than the last day of the week. What about um, you know, going to breakfast on Sunday morning? Because then you're breaking the commandment. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of little things. And I don't think God really means that you can't do anything. If you live by the rules of Judaism in this particular case, you would 
might as well just stay in bed the whole day because, uh, you know, you essentially can't do anything. I have a book called uh, Living a Year Biblically or something close to that. It's a, a fellow who wrote, and it's hilarious, uh, he tried to live according to all of the Jewish laws for one full year in a very strict way. And some of the problems he gets into, is it's, it's hilarious. If you ever want to read a funny book and yet it has a lot of uh, interesting comments on Jewish life, read that book. Uh, I, I really recommend it for both interest in history as well as just a humorous book. Okay. No, unfortunately not. I'll, I'll bring it in next week. Uh, but it is really worthwhile reading. Okay. No, I have no, I have no idea. Remember, the people that were carted off to Babylon, though, were not treated as slaves. Uh, but slavery uh, was acceptable at this particular period of time. And some of them were treated very well, some of them were treated very harshly. Uh, but who the slaves were, I really don't know. And I have no way to to tell you that or even look it up. Uh, the whole idea of slavery is not in the way we often think about slavery as we here experienced here in the United States uh, back in the 16th and 17th and early part of the 18th century. Uh, Slavery could be anybody, anybody that was indebted to uh, another person could be his slave, even though he was another Jew. So, you know, it could be a mixture of people. So I, I have a difficult time in explaining that because there's no way. Yes, ma'am. It was always the last day of the week in Judaism. You're talking about the Sabbath right now. Yeah, it was always the last day of the week in honor of God's creation where he worked six days in creating the world and he rested on the seventh. That was where the Jewish people got the Sabbath as the seventh day um, as a day of rest. And when they say rest, they mean rest. Nothing was to be done. Uh, you could hardly pick up a spoon, you know, to feed yourself. Um, of course, that's a little exaggeration, but nevertheless, it got way out of hand. And then when the Talmud uh, was written for the Jewish people, uh, of course, the Talmud didn't come along until around the third or fourth uh, century BC. I mean, AD. But it started way back in Babylon. 
The Talmud is the one that contains the 613 uh, laws of Judaism. And it elaborates each one of those down to the nth degree. Um, a little bit uh, of overkill. Okay. Yes. Uh, Genesis was written probably in the 5th century B.C. Deuteronomy was written back in the 9th or 8th century B.C. For, you know, practically 400 years uh, difference. And the reason is, as I've said before, I don't know if you were here for the first lesson when I went through all those colored papers and so forth, uh, was that Genesis, which covers creation in the early days of Abraham up to the time of Moses, uh, was not considered true history. And even today, you know, there's a lot of questionable information in that. But when the books were developed, again, by the priestly group, in conjunction with the Deuteronomists, after they returned from Babylon in the 6th century, then all of the Jewish writings and histories were then buttoned down into the books that we have today. Well, they found that there was no beginning, and that is when the book of Genesis was written, after all of the others had been compiled. Okay, let's move on. Honor your father. And, oh wait, uh, we got to the end of the uh, fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Okay. Uh, well, or third, third commandments. The fourth commandment is honor your father and mother. It is sort of a bridge between those commandments that pertain solely between mankind and God. And now the transition is between mankind and mankind, uh, between each other. Okay. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may have a long life and prosperity in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then he adds on all of these next several commandments. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear witness um, or dishonor, dishonest witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Uh, those last two uh, are combined when the first one is uh, broken into two. You shall not desire your neighbor's house or your field, nor his male or female slave, nor his oxen or ass or any other uh, belongings to him. These words are nothing more. The Lord spoke with a loud voice to your entire assembly on the mountain from the midst of the fire and the dense cloud. See, this is... The Deuteronomist speaking in the voice of Moses 
back to the people of the ninth and the eighth century and to people today even. The words and these words and nothing more the Lord spoke with a loud voice to your entire assembly on the mountain from the midst of the fire and the dense cloud. He wrote them down upon two tablets of stone and gave them to me, to me, Moses. But when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, you came to me in person of all the tribal heads and elders and said, the Lord our God has indeed let us see his glory and his majesty. We have heard his voice from the midst of the fire and have found out today that a man can still live even after God has spoken with him. But why should we die now? Surely this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For what mortal has heard as we have the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire and survived? Go closer to you. Hear all that the Lord our God will say. And then tell us what the Lord our God tells us. And we will listen and obey. In other words, the people really didn't want to hear what God had to say. You know, they would take it from Moses secondhand, but they weren't interested in what God was trying to tell them. They weren't interested in God himself. And that is really the this sad part of this whole thing. Also, these commentaries here are not found in Exodus or uh, Numbers. The Lord heard your words as you were speaking to me and said to me, I have heard the words of these people have spoken to you, which are well said. Would that they might always be such of a mind to fear me and keep all my commandments. And then they and their descendants would prosper forever. Go tell them to return to their tents. Then wait here near me and I will give you all the commandments, the statutes, and decrees you must teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. But be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, not turning aside to the right or the left, but following exactly what the Lord prescribed for you by <coughs> prescribed for you. Excuse me. Be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, not turning aside to the right or to the left, but following exactly the way prescribed for you by the Lord your God, that you may live and prosper and may have long life in the land which you are to occupy. See, presumably, this is Moses speaking about at the time when the Israelites are to cross over the Jordan into the promised land for the first time after their release from Egypt. 
And it is the Deuteronomists who are trying to get the people to remember all of this uh, because of their current way of living is so opposed to all of the teachings of God. So a lot of this is commentary rather than history. Are you seeing that? Yes, Dick? Uh, not, not exactly, no. Not exactly, no. I would not... not let, 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 us re, let us review this. The Lord heard your words. You see, if you go back to Exodus, it is just before God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He said to all of the Israelites to come forward close to the mountain. And he's up in the mountain and it's fire and brimstone and smoke and so forth and so on. And this voice comes out of all of that commotion up there scares the hell out of the, the Israelites, pardon the expression, but at least they got the message at that time. But we're talking about 700, well, five or 700 years later, and they've forgotten a lot of that. So Moses is reminding them of what happened. <clears throat> The Lord heard your words as you uh, were speaking to me and said to me, I have heard the words the people have spoken to you, which are well said. Would that they might always be of such a mind to fear me and keep all my commandments. Then they and their descendants would prosper forever. Doesn't say anything about expanding the details there, Dick. Okay, go, go tell them to return their tents. Then you wait here near me and I will give you all the commandments, the statutes and decrees you must teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God. So, uh, yeah, the end of... The word giving them to possess, that's the end of God's speech. Now, this is Moses speaking to the people. Be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, not turning aside to the right or the left, but following exactly the way prescribed for you by the Lord your God, that you may live and prosper and may have long life in the land which you are to occupy. I still don't see your point. But you're you're free to have it, your own point. Right? <laughs> let's let's move on. Okay. These then are the commandments, the statutes, and decrees with the Lord, which the Lord your God has ordered that you may be taught to observe in the land into which you are crossing for conquest so that you and your son and your grandson may fear the Lord your God and keep throughout the days of your life all his statutes and commandments which I enjoin on you and thus have long life. 
Hear then, O Israel, and be careful to observe them, that you may grow and prosper uh, the more, in keeping with the promise of the Lord, the God of your fathers, to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this next section is very important because it is the Shema, or the highest holy prayer in Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Where do we hear that elsewhere? Hmm? Yes. Remember, someone asked Jesus what was the most important commandment? And that is what he said. The wording was just slightly different, I believe. But nevertheless, this is like when we say glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, uh, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Uh, it's called a doxology, which means a brief but very holy statement of God. And that's what this is. This is the Jewish most holy and revered prayer. Take to heart these words which I enjoin on you today. Drill them into your children. Speak of them at home and abroad, whether you are busy or at rest. Bind them at your wrist as a sign and let them be appended on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Those have become uh, major signs of Judaism. You will have, I forgot what it's called, um, Zuma or something like that. Is What is it? Mazusa. that's right. The mezuzah is a little tablet on the doorpost of the Jewish home that has some scripture in there that is important to that family. The phylactery was uh, a little tassel or a, a scroll about so big that was on the uh, tail end of the prayer shawl. Remember, Christ criticized some of the Jewish people for enlarging, enlarging their phylacteries just to gain attention. Um, and that was a big no-no uh, at the time of Christ. Not the phylactery itself, but the enlarging and, you know, sort of making it a uh, look-at-me type of thing. Uh, verse 10 here, chapter 6, verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with fine large cities that you did not build, with houses full of goods of all sorts that you did not garner, with cisterns that you did not dig, 
with vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when, therefore, you eat your fill, take care not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. The Lord your God shall you fear, and him shall you serve, and by his name shall you swear. You shall not follow other gods, such as those of the surrounding nations, lest the wrath of the Lord your God flare up against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. For the Lord your God, who is in your midst, is a jealous God. And that's exactly what he did to the uh, people of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C., when he allowed the Assyrians to come in and conquer them, wipe them out, or take them to uh, Assyria as slaves. All right. The Lord your God, and I'm repeating this here, shall you fear and you shall serve. By his name you shall swear. You shall not follow other gods, and that's what they were doing. That's called apostasy. As such as those surrounding nations, lest the wrath of the Lord your God flare up against you and he destroy you from the face of the land. For the Lord your God is in your midst and he is a jealous God. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, that is the punishment that was dealt to the Assyrian people in the 8th century and to the Babylonians in the 6th century, and to the Israelites by the Babylonians in the 6th century. This is punishment. Now, punishment is not the same as condemnation. Punishment is to try to get people to see that what they were doing was wrong and to correct their ways and turn around and do better. It, it is not a loss of God's love. So we must understand. The other thing is, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, and, and partly next week. When the Israelites came into the promised land, and this was somewhere around the 11th or 12th century BC, uh, they had to eliminate the people that were there because it was God's intention that Israel would be the land of his chosen people. Now, they were chosen, yes, but not because of themselves. They were chosen for a reason. And this is something that they never seem to ever understand. They were chosen to be a mouthpiece or the voice through whom God could talk to the other nations. But they never would accept that. And that is why there was so much punishment involved here. They never got the message. As it says in chapter 49 of the book of Isaiah, they were to be the light to the nations, the other nations. And 
we in the Catholic Church are to be a light to the other nations or the other churches. And when we fail to share our faith, we are no better than the Israelites way back at this time. So that is something that we have to think about. How many times have you heard or perhaps even said yourself, my religion is my personal thing and I don't want uh, anyone to interfere with it and I'm not going to go and blab it to anyone else. Well, that's not what it's all about. And unfortunately, the church doesn't teach what it is all about. <laughs> and I have a hard time with that. Uh, I have even been tempted to get up in the middle of Sunday Mass and say, Father, what has that got to do with us today? How about giving us a meaningful sermon on the teachings of the church? <laughs> i probably get thrown in jail, but <laughs> nevertheless, I'm tempted, and someday I'm going to do it. Anybody, you know how to uh, pack a saw inside of a lunch and you know, give it to me when I'm in jail? <laughs> Do you see what I'm trying to get at? The idea of punishment is not the same as condemnation. God is trying to get us to wake up. Not only the people of the 9th and 8th century BC or the people of the 6th century BC, but people today. We are so involved with our electronic gadgets. We are so taken up by <clears throat> the culture of fashions and sports and entertainment that we don't seem to have time for God. Uh, I've heard, in fact, I've heard my, even my own grandchildren say, well, you know, they're busy with this, that, and some other thing. Gee, they don't have time to go to church and, and do that. <clears throat> and I'm saying, that is the most important thing that you should be doing, and it will help you in everything else. Put God first, and everything else will fall into its proper place. What is happiness? People don't understand that happiness really is a gift of God, and it is peace when all things are in the proper order. And yet, we don't seem to get the message, just like the people way back in the time of Deuteronomus. <clears throat> and yet, if we don't, we're going to suffer the same thing. And I think that part of what is going on today is God trying to get our attention that we are neglecting him. Yes, Yeah. 
the other the other night there was a whole uh, the other night there was a whole program on television about children who are born as boys and want to be girls and girls that want to be boys and the parents that are going along with that uh, what does children at that age know about those things you know that's foolish and parents are wrong in doing that what we were made we should deal with in a way that is pleasing to God and not just because we want to be something different than we are it's unfortunate that our memories are so short uh, that we kind of forget so are you beginning to see what the book of Deuteronomy is all about it is not trying to repeat history <coughs> pardon me it is trying to tell us that the events of history were meant for us as lessons and we should learn by those lessons excuse me we should, we should learn by those lessons and try to understand what they mean and what how they are affecting us or should be affecting us <coughs> I don't know what is causing that. Anyways, any questions? Well, this this book I find can be extremely interesting. And that's why I've asked you to read uh, from other scriptures, other books, because it has an influence. Like I said earlier, <clears throat> this book, Deuteronomy, is mentioned more times and influenced more of the other books than any other book in the Old Testament. And it's for a reason, obviously. I hope you can see that now it's for the idea of getting the message across that we must obey the teachings of God or suffer the consequences there is no way out and yet people seem to totally ignore that uh, it's unfortunate but uh, that is my whole objective of getting I understand that's okay uh, that's my whole objective here is getting you to try to understand and that prayer that I wrote I hope that you'll all take a second look at that and see if you agree with it and to pass it on to your family and friends because it is something that we really start we must start to think about seriously because I believe that there is going to be a major major disaster that will affect all of us any other questions
Well, as you can see, I'm having a little trouble with my throat here. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to understand. I know that you have given us many opportunities, and many other things to enlighten our minds and hearts, but we don't always absorb them or understand them. Help us to truly open our minds and our hearts to hear you, to listen, and to obey. Give us the strength and the courage then to change from our ways if they are against what you have given us. And help us then to love you and serve you faithfully and put you first in our lives, in all things. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name.